Blog Talk Radio. Joining us on Three Women, Three Ways, we're the radio show that talks about women's issues, interpersonal violence, things that that go bump in the night and that we're all afraid of and that some of us, unfortunately, experience a lot. Today, we have a special guest with us, but first, let, just, let me give you some background about who I am. My name is Heather Stark, and uh, I have been in journalism, broadcasting, and about 12 years ago, I decided that uh, domestic violence was an issue that I wanted to learn more about. So I went back to school, got a master's degree. Right now I'm working on a dissertation for a Ph.D., and I really, really like the academic side of these things. Um, One of the things that we're going to be talking about today is not so academic. It is about pets, violence against animals, and that connection to domestic violence. I have with me Rose Garrity, who is an executive director at a New Hope Center in uh, Tioga County, New York, and uh, it's been around for about, what, 25 years? Uh, 28. I guess. No, we're 28. Yeah. Wow. And she supervises staff of 18 individuals, and they provide counseling, advocacy, related services to women and families um, dealing with domestic violence. And what makes their program really unique is that they understand and shelter animals. A lot of times people are reluctant, women are reluctant to leave because they may have animals and uh, they fear for their animals, and a lot of shelters are not equipped to take in animals. So, Rose, thank you for joining us. I really appreciate your being here with us on this issue. Well, and, thanks for uh, having me. I'm glad to talk with you. Thank you. And this is an issue uh, a lot of times people don't think of when they think of domestic violence, but when we have pets, any of us, we consider those pets part of the family usually, and anything that hurts them hurts us. And when we're trying to think about safe planning, we think about the animals as well. So how it, does this work against a woman who's in a domestic violence situation, Rose? Well, it's very common for us to hear that, that when a woman has a pet or and or her children have pets, that the batterers will injure, maim, kill, or threaten the family pets. And um, this is one of the ways, that, the tactics that they use to psychologically psychologically control their victims. And uh, it also makes them afraid to leave unless they can bring their animals with them. Uh, Many, many women report staying because they're afraid to leave their animals. So that's just one of the impacts. Well, and I was reading um, some statistics about uh, pet abuse and or animal abuse and domestic violence, and 91% in one survey, 91% of victims reported animal abuse, and 73% of the children reported pet abuse. But only yes. 18% of shelters ask about pets when victims seek help. So, um, I mean, I know I would be devastated to leave my dog that I've had for years and years and years, but I would also be devastated to see that animal abused. So it's kind of a rock and a hard place mixed in with everything else that a woman has to face when she's leaving. So how do you counsel people who come to you and say, I have a a dog, I have horses, I have animals, and I'm worried about my animals, what's going to happen to them? Well, fortunately, we're able to say, bring them with you. We started the first uh, animal uh, pet respite and rescue program attached to domestic violence in the Northeast many years ago, and we have um, places where we can keep all the animals. We've kept farm animals, horses, cows, all the way down to mice and rabbits and and uh, birds. The usual pets we get are, of course, dogs and cats. And we just say bring them with. And we're actually working on funding to try and get a kennel attached to our shelter itself. How wonderful. So right now, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, we're excited about it. And right now what we use is our office for the cats, and we have a lot of foster homes for all the others. 
Well, I know um, I'm out in the Seattle area, and I know that we have a couple of shelters, animal shelters, not domestic violence shelters, that will uh, foster uh, pets from uh, women who are going through a domestic violence situation. And they'll keep them for a specific length of time uh, so that the woman knows that they're safe uh, when she's trying to go on about getting her kids and family safe. You know, I think people who are not attached to pets might not understand how strong an issue this is, but um, it's a a huge issue um, for uh, women going through this. I mean, first of all, an abuser will use pets to try and maintain that control. Is that correct? Yes, it's it's very common. Um, So, um, I'm sorry, what was the second part of your question? Well, how do they how do they abuse pets? I mean, what's the connection there? What's the thinking of an abuser who goes after the pets? Well, sometimes they're people who uh, have been violent most of their lives, and they may have been pet abusers as children even. However, uh, there are many tactics that abusers use, and it will include anything that the victim loves. And, of course, a pet is... A perfect target because it will frighten uh, the victims and the children and coerce them. Um, you can threaten the pet to get the victims to do what you want them to. Sometimes abusers will use pets and threaten pets to coerce children in sex abuse cases, not just domestic violence. Um, and pet abuse is one of the four major predictors of domestic partner violence. Um, and that's uh, according to a gold standard study that was done in 11 metropolitan cities. So it's it's used to manipulate and control victims and sometimes to punish victims. And it certainly strikes fear because none of us who love our pets can imagine seeing them hurt. Um, I had a call or a call uh, personally uh, a few years ago from a woman who was in a terrible situation, and she felt stuck because she had a number of farm animals, horses and you know um, uh, the usual pets, but also the farm animals. And she knew that if she left, those animals were tremendously vulnerable. Um, yes. So it made it really tough for her because it's hard to find a place that will take a bunch of farm animals and you know. So the best I could advise her is, you know, find other farmers, find other people that you, even if you have to give them away, um, mm-hmm. you know, find a place for those animals and uh, remember that an animal's life, as wonderful as it is, is not as important as your child's life. Um, yes, and farm animals are a little harder to place. And what we've done over the years is that and we've helped a lot of other domestic violence programs by giving <clears throat> excuse me by giving them information about how to set up pet respite uh and protection programs and one of the things that is important to do is to develop a network of foster homes and allies, kennel clubs and farmers and and uh, people you know who are willing to help out by taking the animals for a while. And that's how we did it. Um, We have um, kind of a list of allies that work with us to foster the pets. And it's everything from farms to private homes and even in our office. So um, it's a a process. And uh, you you really have to spend quite a lot of time on it and have a person who's willing to look at the legalities and understand uh, just how to set up the network and have good relationships with veterinarians and kennel clubs and and animal shelters, as well as uh, understanding some of the other um, things that are attendant to it. Um, one of the things that people wouldn't think about is being able to prove that you own your pet, and that's one of the things that we talk ah. to people about. I would, that wouldn't important. even occur to me either. Yeah. You know, um, let me just jump in here. This is such an interesting topic for anyone who owns animals and, and loves their animals. The call-in number for our show is 646-378-0430. 646-378-0430. We'd love to have you join us talk to us about your experiences in this area. Now, you said a Prove, uh, be able to prove ownership. I guess, you know, how would you do that? I mean, 
some animals, if they're purebred or whatever, come with some sort of certification, but ordinary pets don't necessarily do that. How do you prove ownership? Well, most areas have licensing for dogs, and some do for cats. You can get from your veterinarian proof of vaccinations or veterinary receipts in your name. That that helps to prove that you own your pet. Some people will have certificates if they have a purebred dog or a dog they bought from a, a breeder, a certified breeder. Uh, so those are some of the ways that you can prove that you own your pets. Um, and, you know, you can get um, notarized statements from neighbors even if you need to. Um, oh, yeah. But veterinarians and licensing are the most common ways that you can prove ownership of the pet. And when we keep a pet in a in a rescue or respite situation, we have written agreements so that if anything happens to somebody that owns the pet, we have we know what we're able to do and, and how they can be reclaimed or given to someone else in the family. You can get orders of protection for your pets too in most states now. Really? Well, that's yes, kind of when you get. I didn't, yeah. So when you go in, uh, if you go in and get a protection order for yourself, you can also include your animals. You or can. Is it a separate order. You should. You should. You should ask for your animals to be included in your order of protection. And I'm not sure how it works in other states, but in New York State, the family court or the criminal court can just add the pets right into your order of protection. Hmm. Wonderful. Yes, of course, it's, it's you know, really protection important. order is no guarantee that that you're protected, but at least it's a start. It's something, you know. Um, yeah. Wow. There's there's so many things to think about, and and I never cease to it never ceases to amaze me how complicated it is for a woman to leave a domestic violence situation while she's trying to figure out school and clothes and paperwork for her taxes and her kids and and um you know the the money situation and finding a lawyer finding an advocate if she needs to you know in the midst of all this then she also has to be going around looking for proof of ownership of her pets and i i don't think unless mm-hmm. you've gone through that i don't think people have a clue at how absolutely complex it is to try and get out of a situation like that no that's why we have safety plans that we use to share with social workers, counselors, um, people we're serving, and have them available all over the county for people to pick up because it really helps a, a victim to plan for those things and to know what kinds of things to be ready for. And when you start looking at the safety plan, you get to see all these things that you can start working on little by little and keep it secret. Um, so that's one of the things that, that we do, and we include, of course, information about how to ensure the safety of your pets while you're doing the process. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, What is a safety plan? I mean, give me an example of a safety plan. I'm a woman. I live at a house. I, I have uh, two kids and uh, two dogs and a cat, and I come to you and uh, say, I've got... You know this situation is getting terrible. I, I'm, you know, I've got to leave. You know, I, I talk to an advocate about what I need to do and how I need to plan. But what about my animals? Well, you would. I mean, the safety plan includes things like keeping an overnight bag packed and leaving it with a friend or a neighbor, having um, some kind of a password that you can use to indicate danger without giving yourself away to an abuser. You know, you might make up a word, purple or key or uh, necklace. It could be anything. And if the person hears you using that word or you teach your children to use a password that lets somebody else know you're in danger, you if you have a chance to tuck away and hide money, you can do that. And you can plan for the safety of your pets being sure that you have that proof of ownership, being sure the pets have their vaccinations and that you you have leashes and your license and collars and any pet medications and all that tucked away somewhere as well if you know you're going to have to leave. And uh, the plan will include um, a lot of processes like that that victims 
can plan for and use to be safe when they finally um, decide to escape or yeah. get forced to it's, escape. Yeah, yeah. It takes you know, it's, uh, I'm, uh, people always think it's so easy to just leave, you know, and people who've not been through yeah. this will say that. Well, if anything, if he did such and such to me, then I'm out of there. But in fact, it's a much more complicated issue than that, and, it, and you know, far you more build a life and. You know, with someone, and then all of a sudden you're supposed to just leave, pick it up and leave. Um, wow, that's tough. Abusers yeah. head for pets as part of that control issue. Um, do they have a history of uh, pet abuse? I mean, are they animal abusers as as young people, or is it all just part and they parcel? They might have of been. They might have been, but not always. Sometimes it just becomes obvious that this would be just another wonderful way to control, have a tactic of manipulation, coercion, and control. Um, And it it is common for people who had abused pets as children to grow up being pretty violent. Um, And sometimes when children... I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to no, say, and sometimes when children are acting out against pets, they're, they may be showing signs of some violence that's going on in their household already. So you just never know which came first. Um, but but more, uh, one of the statistics from the American Humane Association says that more American households have pets than have children. And that we spend more money on pet food than we do on baby food in this country. So it's um, it's quite a complex um, and common problem. Mm-hmm. And, and um, the woman is usually, by the way, the primary caregiver in almost 75% of pet-owning households. Wow, wow. Um Gosh, the the link between animal use I, and um, uh, I've heard of that with people who murder. You know, the F, I think the FBI started saying back in the seventies that uh, serial killers had a big history of animal abuse, and uh, yeah. so I think people have heard about that. But I don't know that there's been any a whole lot of information about um, domestic violence perpetrators and pets. I think it's been a lot of anecdotal information. Um, What if you are a friend or a neighbor, don't necessarily know about the domestic violence issues, but you see an animal being abused or what you think is abuse, what do you do? You well, you really should report right away. Um, most to the police, or you can call the police. Most um, municipalities have animal control officers as well, uh, so it's important to report that because if you are aware of animal abuse, there's a high probability that there's other uh, abuse or neglect going on in a household. Uh, in fact. Uh, one of the first indicators of distress in a household can be animal abuse or neglect. So it's real important not only for the well-being of the animal, but for the well-being of people in the house to be able to um, make that report as soon as you know something's going on. Uh, is there a lot of uh, talk about this? Is there a lot of training about this with police, this, this connection between uh, animal abuse and other types of violence? Um, if uh, uh, do, how, how much training do animal shelters get on this issue? I, what, I guess I'm what not I'm sure they get very talk. much at all, um, yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. We, we, we talk about a coordinated uh, community response, which is kind of the jargon for let's have all these departments working together to help solve a problem. But if the other um, organizations, if the other bureaucracies are not trained to recognize that, hey, if you're called out for animal abuse two or three times, you know, this might be an indication that there's people abuse going on. And do you then take it to someone else if you're the animal control officer? Um, what is there any work being done in that area to try and inform um, these community organizations of how they can work together? 
those of us who do the pet respite and rescue attached to our domestic violence program do try to do as much community education and sharing and training about these um, issues as we can. Uh, we try to put it in our newsletters and on our websites and Facebook pages and put little articles in the newspaper and put posters up. And um, We actually have a set of brochures that includes one on pet protection and and how it links to domestic violence, and um, and we try to make those available in as many places as possible. Um, mm-hmm. So, but as far as the actual much? training, the, the, there doesn't seem to be much. I mean, I uh, there's not the a whole I've, lot. Yeah, I, during this week, I've called a number of my local veterinary offices. Um, just to kind of get a feel for, you know, what what they see. And I didn't get the impression that, um, I didn't get the impression from any that I called that, that they saw any kind of connection between animal abuse and other types of people abuse. Um, and if they did, they didn't really do anything about it. Um, gosh, I have a think suspicion that, that most vets have not been trained in that. When we started working with our veterinarian clinic, they were surprised, and they've become very aware now. Um, so I, I would guess that as up till this point in time, they're not really training veterinarians on that. I mean, we're just getting to the place now where a lot of people in human health care are starting to understand the importance of screening for domestic violence and child abuse. Well, child abuse may be not so new, but uh, screening for domestic violence hasn't hasn't been done for very long in most healthcare systems. So it's I I would dare say veterinarians are are pretty far behind that curve. Yeah. Um, if you go to the websites of some of the major humane associations, they are having more and more of that information up on their websites. Yeah. Um, Can you tell us some stories about people that have come to your shelter uh, with their pets? And, you know, what what are some of the real-life experiences that your shelter has been able to help? I can tell you some wonderful stories, and I could tell you some that are pretty scary. Um, Well, why don't we do a couple of these? Go ahead. Uh, why don't we do uh, start with one that's kind of scary, and then we'll end with one that's not so scary. All right. Well, we've we've seen everything from women living in their cars with their pets for months at a time to just be safe and stay away until they can find a place to go. To a, one woman we worked with who had farm animals, horses and cows, and her she had an order of protection. He was incredibly violent. Her husband. And then the judge in the small town where they lived gave him permission to come to the place to allegedly to feed and water the farm animals. And, of course, he used that as an excuse to torture her every time he came there. And at the same time, he was neglecting the animals, and she was being charged with neglect of the animals. So it was a lose-lose any way you looked at it. It ultimately ended up with him shooting and killing her on one of those days he came to do the animals. She ran out of the house and got in her car to run away, and he shot her through the window of the car. Uh. It left four children behind, and we we literally ended up going to the school and picking the children up that day while the police were on the scene. Uh, it was It was just a real horror. And uh, we were already doing advocacy with her and the court around charges against her for the animal abuse. So uh, that one had a pretty sad ending. Yeah. Um, it, well, it was. Yeah, I think it's it's important for people who are not working with domestic violence issues to understand that it is, of course, about controlling another person. And you can and a, and a controller will use whatever he can to control the children, the the animals, the court systems. In this case, it sounds like he used animal control uh, to try mm-hmm. and control her. Um, just you know, it's, it's astounding how creative some of these people can be in ways to control other people. 
It um, really is. I sometimes say that abusers have a certain tape in their heads, and they all have the same one because the tactics they come up with are are, are consistent across the board. Anything that will intimidate, isolate the victim, enforce submission, um, keep her afraid, keep them afraid, uh, prevent the victim from leaving, coerce them to return, punish the victim for leaving or showing any independence. And, you know, pets help a great deal in those tactics that they choose to use. So um, they're, they're creative about it, but they also seem to almost have a tape in their heads, too. So I've got a couple of happier stories. We've we've brought in many, many um, women into shelter with pets, and we've kept the pets, and they've been reunited with their pets. Um, when, we, when they're cats, we can sometimes keep them in the office so that the women can see their pet almost every day. If they're in the shelter, they come into the office and see their pets. Um, so those work out quite well, and sometimes they have to give them up. Sometimes they have to move on, and when they're looking for apartments and places to move to from the shelter, often the pets aren't allowed. So... Um, they they have to give them up for adoption, and we help to place them. And then when they get in a situation where they can have a pet again, we'll help them get a new pet. And we, so, all of our staff except one or two who are allergic, have taken animals in and fostered them. And we all love them, and we've adopted many of them. So um, yeah. it's... You have to care about the animals, and you you really need to know have someone on your staff, at least one person who knows quite a bit about animals, about animal care, and the kinds of shots they need, and the, and when to see of that, when to seek help for the animal if it isn't acting exactly right. Um, those kinds of things are pretty important too. And it needs, you know, we need to have a sensitivity, I think, about how important pets are to human beings. Um, those of us who are pet lovers, uh, you know, the, these are not just, you know, something like a houseplant. These are um, creatures that give us comfort and provide connection for us. And I'm often so distressed by a, a family who has to leave their home so especially with the children, you've lost stability, they've lost their home, sometimes they've lost their school and their friends because of relocation, um, mm-hmm. and then to have to lose their pet, uh, wow, you know, I mean, that, that's It can trauma. be heart-wrenching. I mean, it really can be heart-wrenching. And, uh, I mean, the, the upside of it is that when they can keep their pet, get their pet back in their arms, it can be so healing for them and um, so helpful. So those those are all true things. Um, and, I mean, most people who have pets treat them like children. These are my children. I've heard people say, these are my children. And many people that I know call themselves mommy and daddy to their pets. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and that can sound silly and extreme, but we are human beings. And, you know, we have to express that kind of love for another living being, and uh, if you don't have children, or if you don't have children at home, you know, I mean, I I mean, that's what I do. I I asked my vet once, I said, how come we always talk baby talk to our animals? And she said, because they're our babies. And... (laughs) Yes, they are our babies. They really are. Um, And then, I mean, another issue that we haven't touched on yet is um, when people have trained dogs that help with disabilities uh, sometimes. um, And many shelters will hesitate or say they can't come in because some state regs will tell you that you can't have animals in the shelter. But if indeed you you have a service animal, it by by the ADA, by by federal law, you really must let the service dog come in. Yeah, you have to. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a service animal, and so I'm pretty pretty up on those regulations. And mm-hmm. it's amazing to me how frequently, I mean, I was turned away from a restaurant. My dog is eight years old, and she's been going with me to restaurants and public places, um, doctor's offices, the gym, I mean, you name it, she goes with me. Yeah. And um, 
we were actually denied uh, entrance to a restaurant. And I said to the manager, I said, are you sure you want to do this? You know, you need to really go look it up on the computer under the Americans for Disabilities Act or call a supervisor or call an owner because really this is federal law that you cannot, you know, you have to accommodate my dog unless it's doing something obnoxious, if it's doing something, you know, that's you know, growling or snarling or urinating or something, well, then they have a right to say, no, we can't do that. But under normal circumstances, every place that's public has to accommodate a service animal. Yeah, and and a lot um, of people don't know that. And uh, so that's one of the things that we... um, that we try to be helpful about, and uh, and by the way, uh, some people have disabilities related to domestic violence. Uh, yes. I've known many women with back injuries, severe back injuries, that kept them disabled, and with what they call TBI, traumatic brain injury, is very common among survivors of abuse. And yes. there are ways in which service animals can be very helpful for people who have disabilities. Well, so they um, can again, travel with you and. I, yeah, I'm straying a little bit onto, you know, uh, uh, the service animal thing, but I work with an organization that helps place service animals to survivors of domestic violence. And as many as 85% of domestic violence survivors have PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Oh, absolutely, and the, yeah. And the ADA definitely uh, condones using a service animal for PTSD, uh, for flashbacks and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um so, you know, uh, the other two reasons that you would have one without a physical disability is acute anxiety and chronic depression. ADA mm-hmm. acknowledges those three things, PTSD, acute anxiety, and chronic depression, as legitimate reasons to have a service dog help you uh, with your daily living. And so, you know, it's very common uh, that women do have conditions that are where they can benefit from having uh, an animal with them, and even if they don't qualify under the ADA, um, having a pet with them provides a great deal of comfort and uh, uh, relief in a time when it's got to be extremely uh, chaotic. Um, but I, I think mostly about the children, children who are forced to ha- make so many changes uh, through no fault of their own. Um, and, boy, it seems like taking a, a pet away or having to give up a pet is adding insult to injury at the very least. Oh, it sure is, yes. It yeah. sure yeah. is. Um, yeah. And, so, uh, you know, another thing about children and pets is I was just thinking about how um, children might be reluctant to talk about abuse of themselves or what they've witnessed or fear, say, to a police officer, but they might mm-hmm. be more willing to talk about their pet. And if the police officer hears the child talking about the pet being hurt, we would hope all kinds of red flags would go up. Yeah, yeah. Well, and a lot of psychologists, a lot of uh, um, organizations that help support children also have a therapy dog on premises to help that child relax and and, uh, be more likely to speak with the the dog in the area, you know, or the pet. Sure. They mm-hmm. use other pets as well. Um, but, again, going back to the whole cause here, you know, we've got that whole control thing going on, and if I can control you with your pets, I plan on doing so And uh, from the abuser's standpoint. So is there any way that a woman who is not able to leave um, can protect her animals? Um, can she make a self-call to animal control, or would she then be um, considered... A perpetrator herself. How would that work? That's iffy. It depends on where you live. But if someone is actually hurting your pet, the person is in your household, you can make the report. You can report it to the police. Um, police in our area will respond to animal abuse just about as quickly as they respond to um, harm against a person. Oh. And so that is one thing you can do. And you can also... Look for ways to get your pet safe. You can talk to your local domestic violence program and strategize about uh, getting a place. Where would my pet be safe? Where could I take my pet? Do you know anyone that would be willing to foster my pet for a while until I can get safe? Questions like that. Um, 
and and strategizing about getting an order of protection as well for yourself and for the pets. And we all know that orders of protection get violated and can be violated, but at least it starts to get a record. It starts to get something down on paper that there is an issue here. And repeated violations of orders of protection um, escalate in severity in most states. So it is a way to start easing your way to safety. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think sometimes because the piece of paper, you know, doesn't uh, come with a whole lot of weight in and of itself, people think that it's irrelevant, but it isn't. As you said, you you start getting, you know, you start making these reports and you start getting things documented and then it's it's helping to um get the ball rolling for protecting yourself, I think. So, yeah. Do you do trainings as uh, for, for veterinarians? Do you do trainings for other shelters? How how does how does your particular shelter work? Well, we're we're a little bit understaffed. We do as much training as we can, and when we get asked to come in and do a professional training, we we certainly do it. Um, we're a domestic violence shelter, non-residential program, rape crisis center, and comprehensive crime victims program. So we're pretty busy, but, um, wow. but yes, we 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 write articles. We put as much around little newspapers as we can, leave as much material out in public libraries and supermarkets as possible, and we talk to professional groups, especially people who uh, are in human services, from social workers to educators. We do a lot of work in the schools and try to give um, appropriate information to teachers and school personnel as well as students and have them share that on with parents. We talk to Head Start and other child care programs. Um, we, we, we try to do training with people in child care as much as possible. Um, there are... I don't know if if other states have the family centers where parenting is taught and people can come with their children to play in a family resource center. We try to do a lot of work there as well. Um, So there are are a lot of ways that we work to do our outreach. Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, Boys and Girls Clubs, um, those kinds of things are real important for us to be able to reach out to as well. Why don't you give your website so if somebody is interested in learning more about uh, pet abuse and its connection to um, these other issues, they can go to your website. Sure. Uh, Our website is www.anewhopecenter, all one word, dot org. And I've been to the site. It's a very usable site. And, again, if you don't have a personal computer or if you are, um, uh, for safety reasons, not interested in using your computer at home, go to the public libraries. Public libraries are That's great resources. That's a good resources. point. Uh, right. I, I just wanted to say, Heather, that taking care of using your home computer is important because many people know how to trace where you've been, what, what websites you've been on, and that kind of thing. So it's important to be careful about how uh, you use your home computer and using a computer in a library is sometimes a little bit safer. Yeah, yeah. And um, certainly, you know, if you have a huge metropolitan library uh, where computer usage is uh, overwhelming, you can always talk to the librarian about the least used time. And if you can get in there, then you can just get in, check your websites, and... uh, and go ahead and go without uh, any danger of overstaying a, a time limit. So well, yeah. we've talked about, um, you know, the planning. We've talked about how important it is uh, for victims to be able to stay with their animals and to care for their animals. And what I'm wondering is um, legality. Is, is there, are there, is there a, lo- a lot of uh, red tape to providing shelter for animals and people? Um, what are the legal um, issues that you have to face? Well, we we are careful to make sure that the animals have current vaccinations. We're careful about legal ownership of the animals because 
certainly you don't want to take an animal in and be accused by somebody of of um, stealing their animal or taking their animal away from them. That's one of the reasons. Oh, I, I imagine you get accused of that a lot. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. So those are important. And um, n- knowing, like I said, what the local laws are on licensing, knowing what the vaccination requirements are, um, because if and if we take an animal in and we're not sure, for instance, if it's had its vaccinations, we will take it to our vet, our clinic that we use, and make sure it gets vaccinated again. Just that way we can prove that it was vaccinated. Those are the things that it's important to be careful about. Yeah. So, um, And do the shelters... Um, it, I've been reading a couple of stories recently about um, uh, shelters for women being built in areas and the neighborhood not wanting the shelter and so leaking to the media or whatever the location and address. Uh, And there's actually been a couple of cases where the shelter had to stop construction because, of course, if everybody knows that's a shelter, then it's no good for sheltering, you know. Um, so I'm wondering if there uh, would be issues with the neighbors around your office or shelter, uh, shelters that object to this or try to make any kind of fuss over it. We haven't had a problem in our county, but one there was another shelter, uh, a, a church organization that was trying to set up a home for women that were recovering from drug abuse. And there was a lot of community outcry. They went to a different community, and the same thing happened there. Um, for the most part, though, we don't get a problem with that. And um, um, as far as keeping a shelter location secret, all of us do that to the degree we can. But the truth is, when you're in a small town in a small area and you've been open for 20-some years, you you know that almost that many many dozens of people know where you are and people who've been there have shared with family members and things like that so um you you always set your shelter up with lots of alarms and um security systems and special screens on the windows and high fences with um, private play yards and things like that. And and um, most police departments are very good about showing up almost instantly when somebody pulls an alarm. So it works quite well for the most part. And once in a while, there's a real issue. Um, a couple times we've seen where shelters have been burned down or shelter workers have been murdered. But um, we just have to know what the dangers are and do as much as we can to protect ourselves and um, try to stay as safe as we can. It's yeah. That's one of the reasons we talk about the coordinated community response, the importance of developing a lot of sharing and good relationships with law enforcement and courts and social service departments and all the other people that comprise the system in each locality gives you a big step up toward being safer. Um, I'm amazed when we have to pull an alarm. Our, Our police are at our place. I don't even know how they do it. They're there almost instantly. Um, so it's it's a matter of having those relationships and those partnerships and having everybody informed. And I think most parts of the system are very well informed about how dangerous the situation can be if there's domestic violence. And it can be dangerous for police officers, too. Oh, yeah. I, I It can be very dangerous for police officers who are trying to, you know, mitigate a, a situation. Um, one of the things that I stumbled across when I was doing some research for this show, Rose, is that in Ohio they are apparently either working on or having just passed legislation um, directly dealing with this issue of that coordinated community response. So what they are, are advocating, and this is the uh, Columbus Coalition Against Family Violence is, the, uh, I guess, the ones that are really pushing this. And what they are trying to do is get um, 
legal and law enforcement, emergency shelter and foster programs for pets, and uh, pets and children healing projects, victim safety initiatives, and legal initiatives, all that uh, tries to train judges and animal control and family services and even EMTs about the uh, connection between animal abuse and people abuse. So they're actually yeah. trying to do this whole issue of uh, you know getting everybody on board so that the veterinarians know if they see an, an abused animal that there might be an abused person and maybe we should yeah. notify somebody. Um, if police come out or animal control comes out and sees you know an abused animal, then maybe they can say, "Oh wow, you know I learned about this and um, maybe what we need to do is notify somebody that there could be human abuse going on." And and that's precisely one of the reasons that coordinated community response is such a good way to go because then we have all parts of the system working together and being similarly informed. Um, and we have uh, the uh, monthly meeting of our coordinated community response where people come together and all these things are constantly discussed. Um, and it, it, this includes human health care folks as well. So oh, how cool. um, yeah. And and so it's we're gradually learning more and more across the country about how to do this work and do it as safely as possible. Um even though it seems common now to know that almost every county in the country has a domestic violence shelter, a domestic violence program. Truth is, in the whole scheme of things, we haven't been around that long. It's still, you know, when when I was raising my children, there were no shelters for domestic yeah. violence. Never mind anybody hearing anything about animal abuse being connected to it. Yeah. So, yeah. um we're gradually getting better and better at the work. Yeah, and, and it's a very complicated issue. I mean, it's extremely complicated, you know. Um, and so to think that, okay, well, that's something that happens to other people and uh, we'll just build a little shelter and everything will be fine. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's extremely important to have a focus on safety, but it's also important of, of the victim, but it's also important to have you know, a focus on, you know, the the children and the animals and the, the, the community, actually. Um, so, yeah, gosh, you know, it, it seems like we're constantly growing in this area and learning more and more. And the issue about animals being a, a part of this whole domestic violence issue is relatively new. Uh, but I think that it's one that's catching on pretty pretty quickly. Would you agree with that, Rose? Oh, I think so, too. Um, we've had so many calls from across the country, but mostly the Northeast, but all the way across the country sometimes, from other domestic violence programs wanting to learn how to start their own animal um, rescue respite program, animal protection program, and we've been thrilled to be able to help with that as much as we can. We were lucky when we started to do it that we had and still have a person on our staff who raises and shows animals and is basically an an animal expert and had already a lot of connections to kennel clubs and uh, veterinarians and really knew how to help us get it set up. And she's been wonderful at doing that. And we've all learned, along with her, all the things that we need to do to keep the program as effective as it can be. So we How never have had any funding for this whatsoever. Are you kidding? We've That's never amazing. had any funding. No, we've just done it because it's an important part of advocacy. To me, we can't be advocates for victims of domestic violence if we don't know how to help them keep their pets and livestock safe. It's just part and parcel of the issue any more than we could be advocates and not know how to go to court to get an order of protection. It's all oh, yeah. it's all part of the big package. Wow. Well, and I think I'm flipping through my papers here. I think in the, this research that I was doing to prepare for the show, um, I think that it said that 50% or 20, 25%, I guess, 25%, Nope, nope, nope. National statistics show that 50% of victims are afraid to leave an abusive situation because of their pets. 
So oh yeah, I have I've, I've heard numbers higher than that. Really? Um, and I'm I'm looking at American Humane Association stats right now, and it says 71% of pet owning women entering women's shelters reported that their batterer had injured, maimed, killed, or threatened family pets. And um, I'm looking. It said, yeah, here you go. This is the one you were talking about. Between 25 and 40% of battered women are unable to escape abusive situations because they worry about what will happen to their pets or livestock. Um, and it was amazing to us. It just kind of ballooned when we made it known that we were willing to help with that. It just, it was like people came out of the woodwork with their pets and, and, uh, um it's i find it quite rewarding to be able to do the work this way and and uh, what happens that because we don't have any funding like i say our veterinary clinic that we use has been very generous to us and and uh, they they give us discount on the vet care and then they give us donations every year at our appeal drive, and then sometimes the high school kids will do a drive or a car wash to collect dog food and cat food for us, and other people who know about the the work we do with animals will bring us crates, dog dishes, leashes, um, things like that. So, and, you know, doggy pads, all those things that you need when you're providing care for the animals, litter, litter pans, um so we've been lucky to have a lot of help from the community because I think people know we don't get any funding for it. Yeah. Wow. Um and gosh, I I it's hard to get people to understand uh, the whole dynamics of uh, you know interpersonal uh violence let alone you know the the impact that pets have in that whole relationship. So um, I think you must have done an admirable job educating people in your community about how important these these pets are to this whole situation. So you know, kudos to you, and I, and I hope that more shelters around the country will learn from you and uh, be able to accommodate some of these uh, animals for women who have to get out of a bad situation. Um, ultimately, though, you know, I think we are talking about a safety plan, and ultimately, no matter how much we love our, our pets, and I am one of those pet lovers, um, we have to remember that, you know, human safety and children safety uh, takes priority. Um, you have to take care of your kids first, and then you take care of your dogs as best you can or your your animals because yeah. um, the most important thing for you is to keep your family safe, your children safe. Um, would you agree with that, Rose? Yes, I, I do agree with it. And because pets are so important to most of us, that's why we find it so critically important to have that service attached to I would I would love to see the day that all domestic violence programs are doing the work, but I'm seeing more and more and more of them now doing the work with pet rescue and um yeah. So that is that's rewarding and you know it's it's um kind of a little irony of this is that it's easier to get support from people for pet protection than it is for people protection sometimes. Um that's kind of another sad little truth about the whole thing too. Um, yeah. Yeah, I remember but, several years ago I was just gobsmacked. I read a news article there was a woman in California who was walking with her kids somewhere in the mountains and a mountain lion killed her. And mm. uh, the reason that the mountain lion went after her is apparently they were going walking close to the cubs. So the uh, animal rescue or animal control ended up killing the mountain lion. So the woman was dead. She had two children. The mountain lion was dead. She had two cubs. So they mm. started funding, you know, asking for contributions. The cubs got more money contributed than the, the human children. That doesn't surprise me one bit because I've seen it for, well, I've been doing this work for over 35 years. So it doesn't surprise me a bit. Um, there's still more animal shelters in the country than there are shelters for victims of domestic violence. Wow. It, it's uh, easier to get sympathy for. 
And yeah. part of that is the, the victim blaming that goes on. It's like you said. That's exactly what was just going through my mind. Yeah. On. Yeah. yeah. It's you know, well, why doesn't she just leave or he just leave? And you know, it's not like pe- people who say that don't have any idea of the complexity of it, nor do they have any idea that leaving might be one of the most dangerous things a victim can do. That happens to be a high incidence of when a lot of the murders um, are perpetrated. Um, Three women a day die at the hands of an abuser in this country, and one man every day. Every day. It's it's routine in the paper. That one man includes suicide. It includes women who kill an abuser who's been abusing them for a long time. And it it includes men who are being abused. Um, I mean, abuse doesn't just happen in heterosexual relationships. It happens in all different kinds of relationships. And when you have gay or lesbian partners, there can be abuse there as well. Absolutely. So it's not an issue that you can just say one type of person is the victim by any stretch. And this seems like a perfect place for me to plug my book, Why Doesn't She Just Leave? A New Perspective on Domestic Violence. It's available at Amazon. Uh, Why Doesn't She Just Leave? A New Perspective by Heather Stark. So shameless plug goes in there. But the, that sounds uh, good. <laughs> the book actually uses real uh, life stories. Uh, real uh, situations written by the victims and uh, what's happened to them uh, as they try to leave and and try to get away. And uh, some of them are just heart-wrenching. Some of them are absolutely heart-wrenching. Yeah, and when people ask me about, well, why doesn't she just leave? I respond by saying, she does, usually. She does. Yes, over and over. Not when you think she should. (laughs) But yeah. she does. One of the uh, things that people need to understand is the victim, usually the woman, but it can be a man, the victim herself knows what is safest and not safest for her better than anybody else can. And I don't care how long I've been doing this work, I will always defer to her judgment on that. Yeah. Yeah. She knows if it's going to be more dangerous for her to try and leave, either for her or her children. Yeah. Um and, you know, the, I, I think when we started this whole conversation, we were talking about safety planning, and that is so crucial, and it takes so much wherewithal to do that. Um, I, I always suggest to women that they start going to their local domestic violence uh, uh, shelter or domestic violence uh, program before they leave. Go Absolutely. learn what you Absolutely. need to learn. Go and find out about places you can take your your pets. Find out about the resources that are available. Find out about what you need to take. Um, because you don't want to be in a situation where suddenly you have to leave. It's the middle of the night and all you have is your nightgown and your two kids. Right. Um, and we're one of those places where we will, um, if you have no place else to keep the things you have to set aside in case you leave, we will keep them in our place for you. Those are the kinds of things that domestic violence programs can do. Yeah. And there are all sorts of ways to help uh, with the pets uh, from a a woman who is trying to get away from domestic violence. Uh, Here in Seattle, as I mentioned, we have a a couple of uh, animal shelters that will foster uh, Mm -hmm. pets from a domestic violence situation for a certain length of time. I don't think it's long enough, but, you know, it's something. Um, there are private people that will foster your animals. You know, if you have farm animals, check with your neighbor farmers and see if maybe they can just yes. keep your cows for a while. Um, uh, yes. Check yep, with your vet. Yep. Check with uh, check with your animal um, hotels. What am I trying to say? Not a hotel. The place the the places kennels. where you can leave your animals. The kennels. Thank you. I had a little <laughs> mind cramp there. Um, and and pet lovers and pet shops. Um, all may have good ideas about that, and your domestic violence program should have links to some of those as well. I think, and I think as as people become more sensitive and more knowledgeable about what this whole thing is, uh, violence against uh, other people, other critters, they, they're going to be opening up more and more uh, ways to help women leave. Rose, I always close our show with a quote, and today the quote is from Marilyn Monroe. Dogs oh never bite me. 
cracked up. She said, dogs never bite me, just humans. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I, I think it was appropriate. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us, Rose. Uh, we really learned oh, a lot from you. Oh, thanks for having thank me. Thank you for listening to us on Three Women, Three Ways. Join us on our archives and uh, be with us next week. We have another topic uh, that's coming up that I think you're going to find fascinating. So, again, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next week.